Let me begin by reading the words of John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5. John 15, verse 4 says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, there's a phrase in those verses that has always perplexed me. Notice the words of Jesus in verse 5 of John chapter 15, where he says this, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, some time ago, I was walking through a field behind my home, and I saw a branch that had fallen off a tree. And as I looked at it laying there on the ground, detached completely from that tree, I realized that it was quickly going to die and that its days of fruit bearing were over. There was no hope for that branch ever to be productive again. Death was inevitable, and it was the result of being detached from the tree. And when there is no connection between the branch and the tree, there is no hope of that branch ever producing fruit. Now, we understand this in the physical world. But the question we must ask ourselves here is this, how does this apply to me and my relationship with the Lord Jesus? And in this reflection, I want to take just a moment to consider just a few thoughts about what Jesus is saying when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, in the last reflection in this series, we saw that there were two levels of connection to to the vine. And the first level is the connection of life and breath. We owe our lives to Jesus Christ, and without his consistent and constant sustaining power, we would perish. Not one of us can ever boast of having achieved anything on our on our own, for without the breath and strength and wisdom he gives, none of our achievements would ever be possible. Now, over the last few years, I've been learning to play the flute and the tenor recorder, and I can remember the first couple of weeks blowing into both of those instruments, just trying to get a note. There were times when I wondered if it was even possible, and certainly there were occasions of intense frustration. But by practice and consistent effort, those first few notes began to sound. And some of those notes required learning where to put my fingers, and if those holes were not covered just right, the instrument would just squawk. But there was an effort required on my part to to learn to play those instruments. But where did the breath come from to play this music? Who made the body of mine, that this body of mine, in such a way that my brain could communicate with my fingers? Who gave me the ears to hear and to enjoy this, this music? All of this is a wonderful gift of God. And without his creative genius, none of this would be possible. Every enjoyment I have is a gift from his hands. Every achievement I accomplish is through his enablement. 
enabling. He is the source of all life and of all breath and of all ability, and I owe everything to him. I've often marveled at what our technology has achieved over the past few years, but what have we ultimately achieved that God has not already put in place. We're merely learning to use what God has given to us. If anything, all our technological advances simply prove the incredible genius of the Creator who fills this world with such amazing potential. How easy it is for it would be for Him to strip all of this from us, and in an, in an instant, all that we have achieved could, could, could come crashing down upon us without his sustaining grace. All of this, our achievements, would amount to nothing. And when Jesus tells us that apart from him we can do nothing, we need to see this, first of all, in the sense of all life and all breath and everything comes from him as our creator. And he is reminding us here, whether we be believer or unbeliever, that without his sustaining grace, we could do absolutely nothing. Now, the second level of connection between the vine and the branches is that of fellowship and communion. We've all seen branches on a vine that are not producing any fruit. These branches are uh, alive, but they're not productive on the vine. And some of these branches are large and thick and produce leaves in abundance, but those leaves are not what the vine dresser is looking for. In fact, in many plants, these leaves are actually poisonous. Now, many great things have been accomplished with the strength that God provides. Successful businesses have been built. Great nations have been formed. Large churches have been established. And all of this is done in the strength that ultimately comes from God. But listen to the words of Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 and 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, Jesus speaks to those who have prophesied in his name. These individuals cast out demons and perform miracles in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. But speaking to these individuals, the Lord Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. While these individuals drew life and breath from their God, Jesus tells them that he did not know them. They were not connected to God for, they were connected to God for life and breath, but not at the level of fellowship and communion. And notice something further in this statement. He tells these miracle workers that they were actually workers 
of lawlessness. They did work for God, but they are described as lawless because they were not in communion with God. And they produced an abundance of leaves, but not the fruit that God was looking for. Now, in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13, we read the story of King Saul, who was facing a battle with the Philistines. And before the battle, it was the custom of the Israelites to offer a sacrifice to the Lord God. But only the priest could offer this sacrifice, and so Saul and his army awaited the arrival of Samuel to bring that sacrifice to God. And when Samuel delayed in coming, and Saul saw his men deserting and, and in fear, he, he determined to offer this sacrifice himself. Now listen to the words of Samuel when he arrives just after Saul had made this sacrifice. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verses 13 to 14, we read, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For when then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept the word the Lord Lord what the Lord commanded you. Do you see what's happening here? Saul offers a sacrifice to God, but Samuel declares this to be foolish. And like the miracle workers of Matthew 7, he too was a worker of lawlessness. He did a work for God, but it was not the work of God. He took matters into his own hands, but did not do what God had called him to do. It was a religious effort, but it was not the fruit of godliness and communion with God. Not everything done for God is God's work. In fact, some of those works do not come from God at all. And as Jesus looked at the lives of the miracle workers in Matthew chapter 7, he saw big leaves on the vine, but not the fruit he intended. As big and as green as those leaves were, they were of no use for him. As Christian workers, it's possible to build big churches and attract a great crowd, but is that the goal of Christian ministry? Is it all about big churches, loud, large crowds, impressive statistics? Is it not possible that many of these great ministries are merely big leaves on the vine waving about in the wind, attracting attention? They use the energy of the vine to grow big leaves, but these big leaves are not a replacement for the fruit that comes from a deep communion and fellowship with God. In fact, many of these leaves are poisonous and only but hinder the work of the kingdom. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 11 to 15. For, if, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's works will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, 
because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, Paul speaks here about building upon a solid foundation, the solid foundation of Jesus Christ and his work. And there are those, according to Paul, who who build with wood and hay and stubble. And, And when the fire of God's judgment comes, these buildings are consumed. And notice what Paul tells us in verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The apostle describes here individuals who will be saved on that final day, but only as those whose works have been burned up, who have nothing to show. They stand before God with no fruit. Their branches are filled with leaves, but no productive fruit do they have to show? Now, we sometimes get the idea from this passage that the wood, hay, and stubble referred to here speaks about weak and insignificant efforts. But realize that many of these wooden structures are impressive indeed. Some of them, in fact, tower over the smaller buildings of gold and silver. These stubble structures draw a crowd and and attract much attention. There are large churches made of straw. There are impressive ministries built of wood. But they are leaves blowing on the vine, the fruit of human effort and wisdom. But they are not the fruit of communion and fellowship with the vine. Ministries of gold and silver are often overlooked because what God considers precious is not what we see as precious. The Lord Jesus was born to a poor family and lived in a town of questionable reputation. Listen to how Peter describes the Lord Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Here he says, as you come to him, the Lord Jesus, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. First Peter 2 and verse 4. Jesus was rejected by man, but in the sight of God, a living, chosen, and precious stone. Matthew 7 describes false prophets when, when Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Matthew 7 and verse 15, These false prophets are dressed as sheep, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. Their ministries are impressive structures of wood and hay and stubble. Their leaves blowing on the vine, attracting attention, but they produce no lasting spiritual fruit. And ultimately, the fire of God's judgment will consume them, and they will have nothing with which to stand before God. 
When Jesus tells us that apart from him we can do nothing, he's reminding us that we owe everything to him, that our life and breath is from him, and that everything we achieve is the fruit of his sustaining grace. Beyond this, however, he's telling us that if we want to bear anything more than leaves on the branch, we will have to be connected to him in fellowship and communion. Only what is done in his leading, only what is done in his empowering is counted as true fruit worthy of his acceptance. There's a world of difference between the waving leaves of human effort and skill and the spiritual fruit resulting from communion and fellowship with God. And not any one of us will stand before God and say, Lord, didn't I do this or that in your name? I believe that all of our human achievements will will seem so insignificant when we stand before the all-powerful and almighty and holy God. Instead, we will stand before him or bow before him, amazed at what he did through us despite our insignificance. We will be awestruck at how he used our failures and shortcomings. We will bow before a God who so freely flowed through imperfect creatures and used us to accomplish what we could never accomplish on our own. The fruit that pleases the Father is the fruit that he himself produces in us. This is this fruit is is not the result of human effort and discipline, but a fruit that is a result of the work of God's Spirit in us. It is the fruit that results from fellowship and communion and that intimate connection with the vine as he flows through us, empowering us and using us. It is the produce of a heart that longs and seeks God and and his purpose. And for this fruit to be evident, the fruit must die to its own ideas and purposes and surrender completely to the will of the vine. The branch that produces such fruit must be intimately connected and surrendered to the vine. It must willingly and with wholehearted devotion cry out as Jesus did to his father at before his crucifixion when he cried and says, not my will, but yours be done. And only then is true fruitfulness possible, for it is only then that we are ready to let him produce his fruit in us.